welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from On the Media, Countdown, Politically Direct, and Real Time with Bill Maher. The Bush administration has described them as the worst of the worst, but until the Supreme Court ruled two years ago that the so-called enemy combatants being held in Guantanamo did have the constitutional right to habeas corpus, we had to take the government's word for it. Essentially, the 8th century old habeas doctrine safeguards against arbitrary detention by allowing prisoners to ask a judge to review the terms of their incarceration. And that's exactly what the Guantanamo detainees did or rather what their civilian lawyers did as soon as they were able. Currently, there are dozens of habeas corpus petitions pending in U.S. courts. On Tuesday, the Justice Department moved to dismiss every last one of those cases. Why? Because they suddenly could. Thanks to the Military Commissions Act of 2006, signed into law earlier that day by President Bush. The bill authorizes military tribunals to try high-value terrorism suspects and simultaneously eliminates the right of non-citizens in U.S. custody to petition for habeas corpus. Bad news for alleged enemy combatants, but Miami Herald reporter Carol Rosenberg, who's covered Guantanamo for almost five years, says it's also bad news for journalists. What the habeas corpus lawsuits did is it allowed attorneys to go down there, sit across a table from one of these guys in orange jumpsuits that we all saw, and ask them what their side of the story was. Ask them their name, ask them their age, ask them if they have kids. And it was through this process that we learned one by one who many of them are. Not all of them. There's still a number of people down there who've never seen attorneys for various reasons. But it wasn't until there were habeas corpus attorneys that we could really look inside the cages and understand who these people were or who these people say they are. And if these cases are tossed out, then those lawyers won't be going down there anymore. The process of lawyers going down there has informed the reporting immensely. There's an attorney who has a client down there named Juma Dosari. He's tried to kill himself a dozen times. He's desperate. I'm not saying he's innocent or guilty. I have no idea. But he is desperate. And those are the kinds of human aspects of what go on down there that you cannot get as a journalist. Meaning we go down for a tour and the Pentagon presents what you see. But the first time I ever heard that interrogators down there were wrapping detainees in the Israeli flag in order to break their will was in a habeas corpus lawsuit. And when that claim was made, the Defense Department said it wasn't true. And it was only some months later when some FBI memos were declassified that we learned that the FBI saw the same thing as that prisoner alleged. Do these attorneys speak to you freely or are there some constraints on what they can say? There's a process that's been set up by the federal court in which their notes are taken away from them and they're only allowed to speak about those things that are deemed not to be classified. So if I'm on the base and I bump into an attorney who has been talking to a prisoner who has made you know, a grotesque allegation against the prison, he can't tell me about it until his notes are declassified. So those detainees with lawyers, once they had those lawsuits filed, were you able to find out not just the detainee's story, but also the government's case against them? 
largely the government never made an argument. What the Pentagon has said is they're enemy combatants because we've declared them enemy combatants. Some of the information that has validated that they're enemy combatants is classified, and you, the civilian courts, don't have jurisdiction. There's some Uyghur Muslims down there, Chinese citizens, who the U.S. eventually decided really were not enemy combatants. They weren't interested in fighting the United States. They don't even dislike American democracy. They are anti-communist Chinese citizens. And it was really only around the time that they filed the habeas corpus suits that the Americans decided really that maybe they shouldn't be at Guantanamo. So let's say then that the Justice Department is able to throw out all these pending habeas cases. What are the other sources of information that you can still rely on? I mean, you can still report on the tribunals that this new bill allows for, right? Yeah, the military commissions, if they allow reporters to go down and cover these trials, we have yet to hear how they're going to organize that, will be the arena for the American government to accuse them of war crimes and for them with lawyers that are both uh, civilian and, and military to uh, defend themselves. So those people who are charged, you know, the worst of the worst or the people they think are the worst of the worst, they will get a trial. But they've said they're only going to charge about at most 75 of them. And there's about 450 people down there. The marginal people, the people they don't believe that they can charge with a crime and convict, they don't get trials. They don't get lawyers. They end up in this thing called indefinite detention without charge, which means that they get held indefinitely until somebody decides that uh, it's safe enough for them to leave. So how do you find out about them? Leaks? If the habeas attorneys can no longer speak to those people, how will I be able to report about them? Mm -hmm. If they write home and their family back in Pakistan or Saudi Arabia have the wherewithal and I am able to somehow talk to them about the letters, I might learn a little bit about them that way. I would say that without those attorneys, there really will be no one to speak for them. As you watch this uh, tug of war over habeas corpus proceed, are you worried about the ability to continue to do your job covering what's going on down in Guantanamo Bay? I think the job will change. Remember, for the first two years, we didn't have that. I guess my attitude to covering Guantanamo is that this thing is controversial, not because the media makes it so but because America still hasn't decided its comfort zone with an indefinite detention without judicial review. And it doesn't go away just because they managed to seal the files. I may be naive. It may be actually very clever of the administration to make them no longer human beings again and just make them accuse terrorists in jumpsuits. But somehow I think in a way the genie's out of the bottle and you can't turn it back to the days when they were all the worst of the worst, identically dressed in shackles. I think that they are now individuals. And I'm sure some of them very bad individuals. But the process by which we America get to figure that out is still a little confusing. And until they get trials and review that's more transparent, we'll cover Guantanamo the best we can. With a little love and some tenderness We'll walk upon the water, we'll rise above the mist With a little peace and some harmony We'll take the world together, we'll take them by the hand
History does not play well at this White House. Expressionless faces would probably greet references to how John Adams ended his political career by insisting he needed the Alien and Sedition Acts to silence his critics in the newspapers, or how Franklin D. Roosevelt's executive order to seize Japanese Americans during World War II necessitated a formal presidential apology eight presidents later. But even so, somebody probably should have told President Bush that today was the exact 135th anniversary to the day that President Grant suspended habeas corpus in much of South Carolina for the noble and urgent purpose of dispersing the Ku Klux Klan and making sure the freed slaves had all their voting rights, neither of which has yet truly occurred. Your principal defense against imprisonment without charge and trial without defense, thrown away for no good reason, then and now. Our fifth story on the countdown. President Bush, happy habeas corpus day. First thing this morning, the president signed into law the Military Commissions Act of 2006, which does away with habeas corpus, the right of suspected terrorists or anybody else to know why they have been imprisoned, provided the president does not think it should apply to you and declares you an enemy combatant. Further, the bill allows the CIA to continue using interrogation techniques so long as they do not cause what is deemed, quote, serious physical or mental pain. And it lets the president to ostensibly pick and choose which parts of the Geneva Convention to obey. Though to hear him describe this, this repudiation, the freedoms for which all our soldiers have died, is a good thing. This bill spells out specific, recognizable offenses that would be considered crimes in the handling of detainees. So that our men and women who question captured terrorists can perform their duties to the fullest extent of the law. And this bill complies with both the spirit and the letter of our international obligations. Leading Democrats view it differently. Senator Ted Kennedy calling this seriously flawed. Senator Patrick Leahy saying it's, quote, a sad day when the rubber stamp Congress undercuts our freedoms. And Senator Russ Feingold adding that we will look back on this day as a stain on our nation's history. Outside the White House, a handful of individuals protested the law by dressing up as Abu Ghraib abuse victims and terror detainees. Several of them got themselves arrested, though they were apparently quickly released, despite being already dressed. For Gitmo. To assess what this law will truly mean for us all, I'm joined by Jonathan Turley, Professor of Constitutional Law at George Washington University. As always, sir, great thanks for your time. Thanks, Keith. I want to start by asking you about a specific part of this act that lists one of the definitions of an unlawful enemy combatant as, quote, a person who, before, on, or after the date of the enactment of the Military Commissions Act of 2006, has been determined to be an unlawful enemy combatant by a combatant status review tribunal or another competent tribunal established under the authority of the president or the secretary of defense, does that not basically mean that if Mr. Bush or Mr. Rumsfeld say so, anybody in this country, citizen or not, innocent or not, can end up being an unlawful enemy combatant? It certainly does. In fact, later on, uh, it says that if you even give material support to an organization that the president deems is connected to one of these groups, you too can be an enemy combatant. And the fact that he appoints this tribunal is meaningless. You know, standing behind him at the signing ceremony was his attorney general who signed a memo that said that you could torture people, that you could do uh, harm to them to the point of organ failure or death. So if he appoints someone like that to be attorney general, you can imagine who he's going to be putting on this board. Does this mean that under this law, ultimately the only thing keeping you, I, or the viewer out of Gitmo is the sanity and honesty of the President of the United States? 
It does, and it's a it's a it's a huge sea change for our democracy. The framers created a system where we did not have to rely on the good graces or good mood of the president. In fact, Madison said that he created a system essentially to be run by devils, where they could not do harm because we didn't rely on their good motivations. Now we must, and people have no idea how significant this is, what, I, what a, a, really a time of shame this is for the American system. What, this, what the Congress did and what the president signed today essentially revokes over 200 years of American principles and values. It couldn't be more significant. And the strange thing is we become sort of constitutional couch potatoes. I mean, the Congress just gave the president despotic powers, and you could hear the yawn across the country as people turned to, you know, dancing with the stars. I mean, it, it, it's, it's otherworldly. Is there one defense against this, the legal challenges against particularly the suspension or elimination of habeas corpus from the equation, and, and where do they stand and how likely are they to overturn this action today? Well, you know what, I think people are fooling themselves if they believe that the courts will once again uh, stop this president from taking, taking almost absolute power. It basically comes down to a single vote on the Supreme Court, Justice Kennedy. And he indicated that if Congress gave the president these types of powers, that he might go along. And so we may have in this country um, some type of uber president, some absolute ruler. And it'll be up to him who gets put away as an enemy combatant held without trial. It's something that no one thought, certainly I didn't think, was possible in the United States. And I'm not too sure how we got to this point. But people clearly don't realize what a fundamental change it is about who we are as a country. What happened today changed us, and I'm not too sure we're going to change back anytime soon. And if Justice Kennedy tries to change us back, we can always call him an enemy combatant. Um, the president reiterated today the United States does not torture. Does this law actually guarantee anything like that? That's actually when I turned off my TV uh, set because I, I couldn't believe it. You know, the, the United States has engaged in torture. And the whole world community has denounced the views of this administration. It's early views that the president could order torture, could cause injury up to organ failure or death. The administration has already established that it has engaged in things like waterboarding, which is not just torture. We prosecuted people after World War II for waterboarding uh, prisoners. We treated it as a war crime. And my God, what a change of fate where we are now embracing the very thing that we once prosecuted people for. Who are we now? I know who we were then. Mm. But when the president said that we don't torture, that was frankly when I had to turn off my TV set. The, uh, that same individual fell back on the same argument that he'd used about the war in Iraq to sanction this law. Let me play what he said and then ask your question about it. Yet with the distance of history, the questions will be narrowed and few. Did this generation of Americans take the threat seriously? And did we do what it takes to defeat that threat? Does he uh, understand the irony of those words when taken out of the context of, uh, of, of this, this particular uh, passage or of what he perceives as the war against terror and that, in fact, the threat we may be facing is the threat of uh, President George W. Bush? 
Well, this is going to go down in history as one of our greatest self-inflicted wounds, and I think you can feel the judgment of history. It won't be kind to President Bush, but frankly, I don't think it will be kind to the rest of us. I think that history will ask, where were you? What did you do when this thing was signed into law? There were people that protested the Japanese concentration camps. Mm -hmm. There were people that protested these other acts. But we are strangely silent in this national yawn as our rights evaporate. Well, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but I think we've done a little bit of what we could have done. And uh, I'll see you at Gitmo. Jonathan Turley, constitutional law professor at George Washington University. As always, greatest thanks for your time. Thanks, Keith. Can't you just feel the moonshine? Ain't it just like a friend of mine to hit me from behind? Guess I'm gone to Carolina in my mind. Karen, she's a silver sun. You best walk her away and watch it shining. Watch her watch the morning come. A silver tear appearing now, I'm crying, ain't I? Gone to Carolina in my mind. And joining us now is someone who's been a guest on this program before, but this is the first time on our new daily Politically Direct. John Dean, welcome back to the program. It is a pleasure. Well, we are here in Washington. Uh, you have been uh, participating in the American Civil Liberties Union membership conference. A lot has been going on in real time against the backdrop of this event, including this president signing into law a bill that, again, is going to really strike directly at civil liberties. I believe it's the Military Commissions Law, is that it? The, uh, it is. That's Well, that's one of the titles. It's and, the detainee law. And one of the things that it does is it puts into question habeas corpus. It is also, as I understand it, and this I find really interesting, and it's the point that I wanted to raise with you, what this Congress has passed and what this administration had asked for is legislation that basically is going to protect the people who may have violated the law. It goes back and gives them, as someone put it, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Ten years back. Ten years back. Is that possibly constitutional? That's probably one of the more difficult questions as far as the constitutionality. It, it is probably possible for Congress to do that. It'll be an interesting question. What you can't do is go back and make an offense an ex post facto Ex post law. facto, right. That the Constitution bars. But there are many provisions in this statute that are clearly on the other side of the Constitution. And whether the Congress can so simply and easily take away the great writ of habeas corpus, which has been a part of our jurisprudence since the founding, if you will, is another question. I would be really quite surprised if this statute passes constitutional muster and the Supreme Court doesn't indeed knock it down. What's m much more striking, however, has been the whole process of this legislation, where you've had three members of the Senate, uh, in Senator Graham, uh, Senator Warner, and Senator McCain, McCain uh, feigning that they're quite upset with this because of its impinging upon civil liberties and its rewriting the Geneva Convention. And they made a great show of objection. And then suddenly they say, well, it's okay if the president wants to redefine it. We just don't want to do it up here. So they gave him a blank check to redefine 
the Geneva Convention or interpret it as, as he sees fit. Plus, I gave him everything else he asked for. The law is an abomination. I can't imagine Richard Nixon, who I served and have never been accused of being one of his apologists or defenders, uh, would ever buy into a piece of legislation like this. It's really quite a commentary on where we are. And it is an interesting juxtaposition being here talking with the American Civil Liberties Union at the same time because they ran a very effective ad about it today. For they are indeed, I still consider myself in many regards, a Goldwater conservative. And their ad in the Washington Post today said, you know, we are the last of the conservative organizations supporting the Constitution. They are. They actually believe it's a document that we should take it for what it says. Well, and this is the irony of it, because, you know, as we see the strange bedfellows that emerge from this, I mean, I, I had Anthony Romero on this program, and, and we talked about people like Bob Barr, who is uh, no flaming liberal by no. any stretch, but you find these people who actually do read the Constitution. Antonin Scalia was at the ACU membership conference, and there is common ground and perhaps particularly with those originalists, those people who believe. Now, I personally, and I think many progressives, vehemently disagree with much of their thinking on the Constitution, but there comes a point when you're talking about something like habeas corpus, where, in fact, it just isn't something that can be legislated away. Nor is the provision in the Constitution that treaties happen to be the law of the land, and we're just blatantly ignoring the Geneva Conventions, uh, notwithstanding the fact the court has also said they're applicable. In fact, another interesting thing about this legislation, it has been a subtle slap all along to the Supreme Court. It is a sort of an in-your-face uh, reaction to their decision in Hamden, where the court came down very hard on them, and I think it's a test to see if they can push the envelope a little bit further and if they do, you know, we all lose. Well, it's funny. I want to talk to you about that because uh, someone sent me something. It was a transcript of a Tony Snow uh, press conference or uh, perhaps it's from his daily briefing. And the question was put to Tony Snow, is the Supreme Court the final arbiter of the constitutionality of any issue? And his answer was stunning and very direct. He said, it's the president. The president has the final authority constitutionally to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution, and it is up to the president. And in, in Snow's uh, sort of construct of this, regardless of what the Supreme Court decides. Now, again, we go back to Nixon, who ultimately, when the Supreme Court said nine to nothing, you know, you, you give up those tapes, there was never a question. There was never a moment. Well, that's not quite right. There was a great debate at the time going on behind the scenes as to whether Nixon would comply with the Supreme Court right? decision. Absolutely. And the fact that Nixon was looking for some hole he could crawl through in the opinion. And that word spread to the court, and so they wrote that opinion in U.S. versus Nixon so tight that there wasn't so much as a, uh, you know, not even a peephole to get through. Yet, nonetheless, Nixon very clearly, after he realized that they, nobody on, say, his, uh, none of his appointees were about to give him some escape clause in there, he just never had a debate in his mind that he had to comply. Now, if you take right. the Tony Snow, Bush, Cheney philosophy, they could theoretically say, no, those tapes that Nixon was forced to turn over were national security information's on them. We're not turning them over. We happen to have the Army. Let the Supreme Court enforce it, right. as Andrew Jackson once said. Famously said, yes. <laughs> you know, they've, they've ruled and let them enforce it. Right. But this is a stunning 
sort of progression or regression, if you will. The phrase that keeps coming to mind is the one that Pat Moynihan used, uh, defining deviance downward. And the deviance here is the standard by which we hold our liberties close to ourselves. And in fact, now, this mentality, this Bush-Cheney mentality, means that what was unthinkable a generation ago, time when, when you were in the White House, is now common practice. It's very true. It's fascinating to watch the process, this devolution, if you will, where today the commander-in-chief is all-powerful. He has powers greater than the founders ever conceived our president having, and he has become a law into himself. It's not going to work, though. The American people are too savvy. I happen to believe that that great, quiet, not silent majority, but silent more than it's even greater than a majority. It's, it's almost an, a super majority because the debate's now being conducted by the fringes, and that's who's setting the agenda. And that isn't really where most of America lives. So I think when they wake up to what's happening, they'll put an end to it. And while small elites that are, have their own agenda are carrying the day right now, it's not the long term. I'm a glass half full guy, not half empty. I hope that our few remaining friends give up on trying to save us. I hope we come up with a fail-safe plot to piss off the dumb few that forgave us. I hope the fences we mended fall down beneath their own weight. And I hope we hang on past the last exit. I hope it's already too late. And I hope the junkyard a few blocks from here someday burns down. Let's talk about something that really got my dander up this week was Bush signed this bill called the Military Com- Commissions Act of 2006, which is really the good-to-be-the-king bill, <laughs> because it basically says that America is now a South American junta. Oh. It does, because I remember in the 70s, Argentina and Chile, those countries, people used to just disappear. They called them the disappeared, remember, which meant the junta could just take people off the street, no trial, never hear from them again, you just disappear. Well, that's America now. You know Congre- what this is, really? It's Jack Bauer justice. It means that if we, if we have a terrorist and we've the apprehended them, yes, Jack Bauer, Keeper Sutherland, this is the one, he should run the CIA. I love this guy. And most Americans... You do realize it's a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it were real life. But this guy knows how to interrogate guys. He takes them in and shoots them in the leg, tell me where the bomb is. And you know what? Most Americans want those kind and of tactics. Because they understand that tens of thousands of people's lives are insane. <laughs> I, I want to thank Steve for proving my point. Some things can't be parodied, like what you just said. Here's the problem, Steve, and here's the fundamental difference I have with you. You said terrorists. It's not terrorists we're talking about. It's people accused of terrorism. I think law enforcement are the good guys. I think the military are the good guys, but they're not the perfect guys. They make mistakes. And the problem is, and by the way, George Bush said exactly what Bill said, and even, even Scalia said no to it. Only Clarence Thomas upheld this one when he said... He had the right to arrest any American citizen in America, because that happened in one of these cases, and lock him up indefinitely, no charges, no chance to disprove it, 
And five, eight to one, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't. Clarence Thomas would say yes to anything, so he went along with it. But <laughs> the, um, that's the problem. The problem is not how you treat terrorists to me. It's how you deal with people accused of terrorism, some of whom will be caught up in a battlefield, you'll make mistakes, yes. and it's the assumption of perfection, and it's the lack of an ability to go into court and say, no, no, that's not me, especially since our guys get their names wrong, and they don't know many of them, Shia from Sunni, etc. And so that's the problem, the lack of a means of sorting now, them out. Wait a second. Yes. Jason, you've been on CBS. What do you think of well, <laughs> the, the The interesting part of this debate for me is that the, the debate seems to be all about the shell and not about the core. There is, there is a debate to be had about how do you treat an enemy combatant in this particular war where there is not conventional military. We don't know how to fight these guys. They go for large attack sites. They go for civilian casualties. And, you know, as, as a father, if a, if a terrorist jihadist has got information in him that's going to protect my kid or kill my kid, I'll beat him to death myself to try and get it out. So I, there are people of good faith on both sides of that debate. But that's the shell. <clears throat> the core of it is this is an incredibly dangerous weapon that they just voted on and approved. And I don't trust the hand that they put that weapon into, and I don't think most people in this world trust the hand. It's good not to trust government. But this point is, the problem is, you've got one of these terrorists, you've apprehended them, and the ACLU comes in and says you can't get the information out of them, even if they have a bomb in New York City. Let me just detail the law so people know what we're talking about. Under this law, Bush decides that he can detain someone forever. Forever. With no way to challenge it. With no way to challenge it. No forum for challenging Bush decides what is cruel and unusual punishment. Bush decides who violated the Geneva Convention or who didn't. Now, I say Bush because he's president now. How would you feel about this if it was President Hillary Clinton, who, by the way, is strangely supportive of this? Another disappointing turn from the senator of New York where she said, uh, the president should have some lawful authority to use torture in severe interrog and other severe interrogation. You don't agree with that? No, I, I mean, don't. If, you, if somebody says they've got a bomb in you know Los what? Angeles, it's going to get Here's the deal. You don't need to put it into law. Our law enforcement guys, if in the rare instances where somebody really had that situation, yet, the way. ticking bomb, the guy really knew the information, they would do it anyway. They don't need the law. Well, they would be violating First of all, Steve, you keep ignoring what I think is a fundamental point. Namely, not everybody who was picked up, particularly in a complex situation like mm -hmm. Afghanistan, is guilty. It is outrageous for the United States. Look, we just had this guy, this Canadian, who was sent to Syria and was yeah. beaten in mm -hmm. Syria, and he was totally innocent. But because of the system that you apparently support, he had no way to get there and say, no, I was here at that time. That's not me. Most you got it the, wrong. Most no, of the no people in Guantanamo Bay are no Afghanistan guys who we swept up because we didn't do it ourselves. We contracted it out to the warlords, and, and they solved their long-standing feuds and by saying, oh, rates. this guy, oh, yeah, he's, a, he's an no, enemy Bill, of yours. Paid. They were just settling and scores, and rates. we paid them. We went in There's with one other cash. Can I just say, on the ticking time bomb, I agree, but let's be clear. We haven't yet seen such a case, and you do not take the worst case and then generalize that so you treat everybody that way. If you get to the extreme, you do that. But I still want to really support a system in which people can't go into some neutral place. We know we've made mistakes. They made mistakes in dozens of people who've been picked up who were let go after a year, two years, three years. The absence of a forum in which you can challenge this and say, I can prove it isn't me, it's just on American. I was lost and you were found. You seem to stand up.
We have lived as if in a trance. We have lived as people in fear. And now, our rights and our freedoms in peril, we slowly awaken to learn that we have been afraid of the wrong thing. Therefore, tonight have we truly become the inheritors of our American legacy. For on this first full day that the Military Commissions Act is in force, we now face what our ancestors faced at other times of exaggerated crisis and melodramatic fear-mongering, a government more dangerous to our liberty than is the enemy it claims to protect us from. We have been here before, and we have been here before, led here by men better and wiser and nobler than George W. Bush. We have been here when President John Adams insisted that the Alien and Sedition Acts were necessary to save American lives, only to watch him use those acts to jail newspaper editors, American newspaper editors, in American jails, for things they wrote about America. We have been here when President Woodrow Wilson insisted that the Espionage Act was necessary to save American lives, only to watch him use that act to prosecute 2,000 Americans, especially those he disparaged as hyphenated Americans, most of whom were guilty only of advocating peace in a time of war. American public speakers in American jails for things they said about America. And we have been here when President Franklin D. Roosevelt insisted that Executive Order 9066 was necessary to save American lives, only to watch him use that order to imprison and pauperize 110,000 Americans, while his man in charge, General DeWitt, told Congress, it makes no difference whether he is an American citizen, he is still a Japanese. American citizens in American camps for something they neither wrote nor said nor did, but for the choices they or their ancestors had made about coming to America. Each of these actions was undertaken for the most vital, the most urgent, the most inescapable of reasons and each was a betrayal of that for which the president who advocated them claimed to be fighting. Adams and his party were swept from office and the Alien and Sedition Acts erased. Many of the very people Wilson silenced survived him and one of them even ran to succeed him and got 900,000 votes, though his presidential campaign was conducted entirely from his jail cell. And Roosevelt's internment of the Japanese was not merely the worst blight on his record. But four decades later, it would necessitate a formal apology from the government of the United States to the citizens of the United States whose lives it ruined. The most vital, the most urgent, the most inescapable of reasons. In times of fright, we have been only human. We have let Roosevelt's fear of fear itself overtake us. We have listened to the little voice inside that has said, the wolf is at the door. This will be temporary. This will be precise. This too shall pass. We have accepted that the only way to stop the terrorists is to let the government become just a little bit like the terrorists. Just the way we once accepted that the only way to stop the Soviets was to let the government become just a little bit like the Soviets. Or substitute the Japanese, or the Germans, or the socialists, or the anarchists, or the immigrants, or the British, or the aliens. The most vital, the most urgent, the most inescapable of reasons. And always, always wrong. With the distance of history, the questions will be narrowed and few. Did this generation of Americans take the threat seriously, and did we do what it takes to defeat that threat? Wise words, and ironic ones, Mr. Bush, your own, of course, yesterday in signing the Military Commissions Act. You spoke so much more than you know, sir. 
Sadly, of course, the distance of history will recognize that the threat this generation of Americans needed to take seriously was you. We have a long and painful history of ignoring the prophecy attributed to Benjamin Franklin that those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. But even within this history, we have never before codified the poisoning of habeas corpus, that wellspring of protection from which all essential liberties flow. You, sir, have now befouled that spring. You, sir, have now given us chaos and called it order. You, sir, have now imposed subjugation and called it freedom for the most vital, the most urgent, the most inescapable of reasons. And again, Mr. Bush, all of them wrong. We have handed a blank check drawn against our own freedom to a man who has said it is unacceptable to compare anything this country has ever done to anything the terrorists have ever done. We have handed a blank check drawn against our own freedom to a man who has insisted again that the United States does not torture. It's against our laws and it's against our values. And who has said that with a straight face while the pictures from Abu Ghraib prison and the stories of waterboarding figuratively fade in and out around him. We have handed a blank check drawn against our own freedom to a man who may now, if he so decides, declare not merely any non-American citizens unlawful enemy combatants and ship them somewhere, anywhere, but may now, if he so decides, declare you an unlawful enemy combatant and ship you somewhere, anywhere. And if you think this hyperbole or hysteria, ask the newspaper editors when John Adams was president, or the pacifists when Woodrow Wilson was president, or the Japanese at Manzanar when Franklin Roosevelt was president. And if you somehow think habeas corpus has not been suspended for American citizens, but only for everybody else, ask yourself this. If you are pulled off the street tomorrow and they call you an alien or an undocumented immigrant or an unlawful enemy combatant, exactly how are you going to convince them to give you a court hearing to prove you are not? Do you think this attorney general is going to help you? This president now has his blank check. He lied to get it. He lied as he received it. Is there any reason to even hope that he has not lied about how he intends to use it, nor who he intends to use it against? These military commissions will provide a fair trial, you told us yesterday, Mr. Bush, in which the accused are presumed innocent, have access to an attorney, and can hear all the evidence against them. Presumed innocent, Mr. Bush. The very piece of paper you signed as you said that allows for detainees to be abused up to the point just before they sustain serious mental and physical trauma in the hope of getting them to incriminate themselves. And they may no longer even invoke the Geneva Conventions in their own defense. Access to an attorney, Mr. Bush? Lieutenant Commander Charles Swift said on this program, sir, and to the Supreme Court, that he was only granted access to his detainee defendant on the promise that the detainee would plead guilty. Hearing all the evidence, Mr. Bush, the Military Commissions Act specifically permits the introduction of classified evidence not made available to the defense. Your words are lies, sir. They are lies that imperil us all. One of the terrorists believed to have planned the 9-11 attacks, you told us yesterday, said he hoped the attacks would be the beginning of the end of America. That terrorist, sir, could only hope. Not his actions, nor the actions of a ceaseless line of terrorists, real or imagined, could measure up to what you have wrought. Habeas corpus, gone. The Geneva Conventions, optional. 
The moral force we shined outwards to the world as an eternal beacon and inwards at ourselves as an eternal protection snuffed out. These things you have done, Mr. Bush, they would constitute the beginning of the end of America. And did it ever occur to you once, sir, somewhere in amidst your eight separate, gruesome, intentional, terroristic invocations yesterday of the horrors of 9-11, that with only a little further shift in this world we now know, just a touch more repudiation of all of that for which our patriots have died, did it ever occur to you once that in just 27 months and two days from now, when you leave office, some irresponsible future president and a competent tribunal of his lackeys would be entitled by the actions of your own hand to declare the status of unlawful enemy combatant for and convene a military commission to try not John Walker Lind, but George Walker Bush for the most vital, the most urgent, the most inescapable of reasons. And doubtless, sir, all of them, as always, wrong. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you have been listening to the show for a while, then you may know that if you were to judge by any standard measurement at all, I am well behind the curve when it comes to taking action uh, that is uh, outside the realm of my regular routine. So what I mean is when I make the decision that I need to change something, it takes like weeks of mental preparation. I'm, I'm so past fashionably late. It's, it's like the party's over and everyone's gone home and that's when I show up. But eventually I do come through. And if I don't come through, then you just don't hear about it. But anyways, today I actually get to announce that I have finally gotten my acts together on one of, I think the most important aspects of the inner workings of the show and that is giving credit where credit is due after the show became a community driven project and uh, and people started consistently sending in clips that helped actually build the show uh, i had to make the change to figure out how to keep track of all these people and who's helping and who's doing what and how to give credit for all of that and so finally I have, I've made a little system and it works well enough. So this, you know, it's not going to be a huge deal, but you know, I'm hoping like once a week I can just say thanks to those people because it's really important that they know that they're appreciated. And it's really important that everyone else understands that there are real people doing real work that actually make this show happen. And, and you know, it's, it's important that that message gets out there. So I just need to say today, thanks to the following people. First, right at the top of the list, Billy has been doing a fantastic job. He not only sends in clips to the show, but he's practically running the website, the whole, the whole best of the left community forum. He's on top of that. Like I'm terrible with uh, metaphors, but he's doing a fantastic job. Thanks to Billy. I, I can't, thank him enough. I, I try to do it a lot anyways, but, um, but he's amazing. 
uh, Richard and Dakota Bill. I'm thanking both of these guys at the same time. They're, I mean, they're running neck and neck for the most clips anyone has ever sent in to anything. Both of these guys are amazing. Like every day I can count on one or two clips coming in from these guys. Really, practically no show goes out on the feed anymore that hasn't been touched by one or both of these guys. So an amazing thanks to them. Uh, without them, uh, I, I fear to imagine what would happen to the show. Uh, it would be very skimpy indeed. Uh, hardly any content to be had. So thanks very much. Uh, let's all give our best to, to Dakota Bill, who unfortunately lives nowhere near the Dakotas, although he wishes he did. So uh, certainly my heartfelt condolences to him. And Eleanor has been sending in clips. She's doing a great job of actually keeping us grounded a little bit. She's been sending in clips from actual uh, reasonable and respectable journalists, not just the crazy, you know, frothing at the mouth liberal rants like the rest of us enjoy. So thanks to her, absolutely. But there's more. Those are only the people who actually sent in the clips. There's a whole slew of people who've been... uh, not doing the actual editing and submitting of the clips, but uh, submitting the information about clips that can be found and, and so that we do the work to, to get those as well. So to all of you involved, in whatever way you're involved, thank you very much. Uh, I, 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 can't, I can't keep track of everyone. I can't, I can't thank everybody, but uh, definitely these people... Uh, everyone on the message board, everyone uh, who's involved, uh, you guys make the show happen. And it's really important that you know that and that everyone else understands how this whole thing is going down. So um, for the rest of you, if you want to get involved, uh, strike while the iron is hot. That's what I always say. Um, That's not true. I almost never say that, but I'm saying it now uh, because I think this is just an, an incredible... Uh, community experience that is going on and uh, you're um, you're missing out if you're not involved so head on over you can uh, probably the easiest way go to botlcommunity.com just check out what's happening you know if you want to get involved you can do that there's the whole contributor project section you can find all the information on how to participate there or just get involved in one of the conversations that is always going on um you know, a bunch of liberals getting together and uh, throwing stones at each other because we uh, disagree on just about everything, even though we agree on everything. So, lots of fun all the way around. Next week, I hope to be back full of piss and vinegar, not uh, sick anymore like I was this week, uh, back on the top of my game, and uh, I will talk to you all then. Have a good one, everybody. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you out in the open door This is not my life It's just a fun fact